Well, my name is Mark Warren. If you're a guest with us, I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Capital Church. And uh, we are in this series in the book of Luke. And if you are new to us, there are a few things that we would say that we're about. One, we're about helping you get ready to meet Jesus face to face, because we will all come to that moment at some point, whether he returns in our life or whether we pass on, we'll have an opportunity to meet Jesus face to face. And I want each one of you to stand with courage and confidence to know that you've run the race well. So we're helping you do that. And then the next thing we say of that is really taking from Jesus' teaching that we're going to reach the lost, care for the least, like in Matthew 25, we're the least of these, and then train the found in our call to discipleship. And so those are the three things we really focus on. So you could be assured that we will root everything in the Word of God, and we will uh, try our very best in our humanists, but to love people really well. I think that would be honoring to Jesus. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 6. And we're going to um, cruise through this one. There's a lot of content here. And uh, we're going to, I'm just going to give you a preview of the first one. But this is kind of, I'm going to start with some questions to get you thinking. So how, how do you live a happy life? I, I, the Bible tells us how to live happy. I know, different than joy, but this word blessed actually translates to happiness. Um, then we're going to be talking about how if you want to live a life of turmoil, nobody wants that, but it might be, would be good to say, how do we make sure we avoid those places? And then we're going to be talking about um, really going from the Beatitudes to these woes that Jesus says to understanding how to um, continue that conversation. Sometimes when we take parts of the Bible and we just kind of like, like hey, we're going to read the Beatitudes, we realize that the Beatitudes are the front part of a, of a talk that Jesus gave to his early, earlier followers, but it was only a section. We have to read it all through context. That's why I love going through a book of the Bible this way, to get the full story of what Jesus was intending. Then he's going to talk about, okay, if you really want to see what is in your life, there's, Jesus is going to kind of like reveal some deeper things in you. It'll be self-reflective, but there's a way that Jesus says how to do that. We'll, we'll dig into that together. But first, I want to say in Luke chapter 6, we get the idea that Jesus doesn't like the religious people very much. You think, actually, we go to church, aren't we religious? Like when people ask me that, are you a religious person? I said, no. <laughs> I'm a follower of Jesus. Um, and I know what they're saying, so no, no bad on them. But Jesus had a disdain for religious people. Here he goes, um, he's being challenged about a law that was meant to be a blessing. God instituted the Sabbath, by the way. The Sabbath is a day of rest. I think in our Western culture, we struggle with this idea of Sabbath. But it was meant to be a blessing for people that there's one day a week that you set aside for God, that he allows you to refresh your soul. You don't have to work on that day. But anyways, the um, religious guys were like, kind of like, ah, we're going to trap Jesus. And here Jesus sees and perceives that there's a trap being set, and he goes ahead and heals somebody on the Sabbath, just to kind of put it in their face. Um, so I got to like Jesus. He's kind of an edgy guy, you know? 
He's not afraid to get in the face of people. But he always goes after the heart. He's not making getting in your face to kind of like cause a stir for no reason. He's going after the heart to ensure that people have freedom. He saw a person who had a withered hand on the Sabbath, and he challenged them, is, it, is, it, is the Sabbath meant to give you life, or is it meant for death? And he goes, here's an opportunity to bring life, and I'm going to heal on the Sabbath. And so he heals this man with a withered hand. Then the next section, uh, Jesus picks his 12 disciples. By the way, can you tell me uh, how many disciples had the same name? I, I'm really impressed by Jesus. You, you know, like he's God and man, but you'd think he would pick people that all had unique names. But maybe he only wanted to you know, remember, only not 12, he only had to remember 10 names. Um, so here's the deal. There's Simon well, actually had two Simons in there, but he eventually named one of them Peter, right? Simon Peter. There's actually two Judases of his 12, Judas Iscariot, uh, the one who betrayed him. And there's actually another two. There, there's James. There's two James as disciples as well. So just a little fun fact. All that is in Luke chapter 12. Uh, sorry, chapter 6, verse 12. You can read that yourself. I'm not going to go um, much to that. Then, then here we go. Jesus is speaking to the multitudes. This is where we're going to get into the Beatitudes and the woes. It's really important to understand that the Beatitudes and the woes need to be read together or we're going to miss what Jesus is trying to say. So the Beatitudes, starting in verse 30, sorry, verse 20 says this. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed, or the other interpretation is happy. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and they will exclude you and rival you and spurn your name as evil. On the account of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day. And leap for joy, and behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did, uh, did to the prophets. Okay, so there's the, the happy is or blessed are. But let's just read the woes for a second, then I'll give you some context to that. But woe, or um, sorrowful, another word is war, uh, woe, or um, maybe some disdain. So woe to you who are rich. For you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Woes and blessing. So you have to match the blessing from the woe. So first line, blessed are those who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Matched it to, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. What is Jesus saying here? We talked a little bit about this uh, last week. He, he's not saying that if you are rich, you are uh, going to be sorrowful or you're going to uh, experience difficulty. But he does say that we have to understand where is our attention. All the blessings and the woes have to do is where we're setting our heart to. 
Now, some interpretation of blessed are the poor, some would say that blessed are the poor in spirit, which would be like, okay, is that like humility? Blessed? No, he's actually talking about um, if you feel like you're lacking. Blessed are you. Because have you anybody been on a missions trip and you go there and it's like, this is the best kept secret that the people that we think are the poor that we're going to serve have so much more joy and happiness than we do? If you've ever experienced that, it is so profound because we're like, how is that? Well, like, we feel like we have something we're there to give, and yet we're going there. We get so much more by looking at they have so little. I remember uh, in Africa, a boy running down the road with a stick and a tubeless tire off a bicycle, and he's having the time of his life with a stick and this thing that we'd throw away, right? His, his toy. But we feel like in our Western culture that we need so much. And I think this is the woe to you who are rich. He's saying, when you're rich, our attention goes into what am I going to wear? What am I going to buy? What am I going to eat? How do I look after this thing? How do I register that vehicle? How do I da, 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 da. Our lives are consumed by just managing all of our stuff. How many people have storage units? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied, compared to woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Again, it's the if-then statements. Remember in school, you'll talk about the the if and then. These are uh, conditional statements. If this, then this. And I would say the if then is the condition that it really relates to is where are you putting your attention and where is your heart? Bible says for where your treasure is, your heart is also. And so we have to say where are we putting our attention? Where are we putting our treasure? Because if God is looking at our heart and he always goes after the heart... We want to be putting our attention to the things that line up with his heart. And again, I don't think it's rich or poor. I don't think it's hungry or full. I think it's he's talking about a condition that is laid up in a person's life. If you have so much food and and then you're just kind of like, I'm bored of this one. I'm bored of that. I'm going to, where am I going to eat tonight? What restaurant am I going to go to? We spend so much time. And if you don't have those options, you go to grocery stores in third world countries and and you realize you got one box of cereal to choose from. You go to the supermarket here, right? It's like, oh my word, this one, this one, whole aisles of choices, right? And so he's just, again, encouraging us. It is so challenging, I would say, for us as North Americans to be living the way that God wants us to live. And I'm right here with you guys, right? I'm, I'm wrestling through this too. In our Western society where we have so much, but we have to keep then stripping our lives away to say, okay, what are the basics? Where's my heart need to be focusing on? Where is my treasure going to be focusing on? And remember when he called the 12, uh, well, initially he called his disciples. He said he was going to make them fishers of men. Jesus will always call us if we're following him, away from stuff, away from selfishness, to selflessness, and to people. Let me say that again. 
He will call us away from selfishness to become selfless, away from putting our focus on ourselves and pushes us to put our focus on other people. That's what he's calling us to. And, and he's saying that, that the more you have and the more options in life that you have, it becomes harder to be focused on other people. It's just the reality. Because the more stuff, the more opportunity, the more you get to think, what am I going to do tomorrow? What am I going to do next year? I have options. Poor people have no options. They're like, okay, rice and beans again today. <laughs> and you know what? And then you wonder why they're so happy. Is it because they put, then put their attention on, on people? I remember uh, I've spent a lot of time in Africa and... Um, had to learn some African culture. Our Western culture wants to just jump right into business. Right? We're very uh, task-oriented, very production-minded. And I remember going into a meeting once um, and going right to uh, the reason why I was there. I didn't talk about or ask questions about this person's family. I later found that it was incredibly offensive what I did. You need to spend at least 15 minutes, probably a half an hour, talking about your family, talking about life, talking about these things that they felt were more valuable than the task that, at hand that we thought was valuable. And is it something that they understood that, that relationships are way more important than the stuff that we have in the tasks of the day, and all the options and opportunities that we're thinking about. But then he goes after these blessings or the happiness and the woes. Then he challenges us to really go after the heart, right? So he's talking, it's the way Jesus does it. He talks about some like superficial things, very natural, wealth, hunger, um, like things that you can just relate to. Now he's chasing the heart by saying this in verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. But the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other side also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Well, the cloak would be, if you've seen any of the um, chosen shows, um, the cloak would be the outer thing. The tunic would be the under uh, white shirt garment, the long shirt underneath the cloak. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do to them also. So again, here he's, he's chasing after the heart. He's saying, love your enemies, right? People kind of say bad things to you. Don't get, don't get back at them. Just pray for them. Be generous. You know, the, the beggar who you, you think you're like, oh, come on. There is work all over the place. Just get a life. Get a job, Right? We, we say that in, we don't, might not say it out externally, but we say it internally. But yet here it says, give to everyone who begs from you. Why, why is he saying this? 
again, what he's saying is, he's going back to the relationship thing. He's going again back to the, do you see the beggar? Do you care about the person um, who is treating you poorly? Or do you just want to trash talk them? Or do you want to just like degrade them? Or, or do you actually want to pray for them and say, God, like we prayed for our president. God, would you just change their hearts that they would experience you and experience your love? Right? He's saying, it's so easy to be self-focused. Do you see what that person did to me? Can you believe that person's not getting a job? Can you believe uh, as if you're inconvenienced that the person's begging from you, making you feel a little bit bad? (laughs) Right? Self-focus or focusing on others in a way that has compassion and love, and the, the hopes that they would encounter the love of Jesus, because that's what changes everything. All right, we're on verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Right, it's kind of easy to love people who love you. <laughs> A little bit harder to love those who don't love you. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. So now he's saying, okay, there's a different way to live here. There's a way that the world lives. The way the world lives is like, we'll treat people nice who treat us nicely. We will, um, you know, do good to people who do good to us, right? And he says, okay, I understand that's natural, but we're to live supernatural. The kingdom of God's not natural. This is the way we are to live, different than the rest of the world. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. Can you say great? Great. Can you say reward? So your reward will be great. The crazy part of this world right now is, is we realize we, we live in a fallen world that um, Satan and the demons have, have, have an ability to twist and distort and pervert. I'm not saying everything's bad in the world, but I'm just saying the world is, the kingdom of God is upside down. We're yet, we're to live in the kingdom of God here and now. The moment you give your life to Jesus Christ, you've now stepped into a different realm. That's why he, called, he says you're being born again. You're actually being born into a, a new realm where you put Jesus as the king of your life, and then he places you in a spiritual family that's called the church. And then you're to grow and mature to understand what the kingdom of God is like and learn how to live in the kingdom of God. The idea of getting saved is not so you can go to church and, and give 10% of your, of your income and, and be a moral person. That, that's not the intent of it. The intent was you're going to give your life to Jesus that you become a new creation. The old is gone. And then you're going to start this journey of learning how to live differently than the rest of the world, learning to live in the kingdom of God. But he says, when you do, your reward is great. How many people want a great reward? I, I think I do. And, and we're going to be doing it by receiving the very thing that Jesus is asking us uh, to do here, which is so counterintuitive 
and countercultural. Okay, then we move into this idea of, so he's chasing after the heart, right? So now he's saying, here's how you're going to have to behave in the kingdom of God, do things that are opposite than the world. He's going, he lays it a little bit deeper now. First of all, he's talking about the physical things. Then he's talking about, okay, loving your enemies, doing things differently than the world. Now he's chasing the deeper parts of our heart. And he says this, verse 37, judge not and you'll not be judged. Condemn not, and you'll not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back against you. Now, he's answering the great reward question. He knows they're asking, what's going to be my great reward? And he says, this is what it's going to be. When you don't judge, you're not going to be judged. When you forgive, you'll be forgiven. When you're generous and you give, I will give back to you. Not only just a little bit, I'll give you a good measure, pressed down, overflowing, and so you can't contain it any longer. And he says, well, how do you do? Well, the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Then he used this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Sounds like a bad joke, right? (laughs) Can a blind man lead a blind man? What happens? They will both fall into the pit together. They, uh, will they both fall into a pit? Oh, that is the answer to the joke. All right. Um, A disciple is not above his teacher. Jesus, you're so funny. Jesus, sense of humor. Um, But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. This is discipleship, right? training to learn how to live in the kingdom of God. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out that speck in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that's in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take out the log out of your own eye, and then You'll see clearly and take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. So he's not saying ignore the stuff in other people's life, but he's saying, first and foremost, why don't you start looking at you? (laughs) Yourself. It's so hard in the world that we live in today uh, as a former Canadian, I guess not former, I, I still carry a passport for you know, everything that is going on in Canada right now, and you probably know the name Justin Trudeau. You probably didn't know who that was uh, probably two months ago, right? The prime minister in, um, for Canada. And, and it just seems like he is being so prideful and being so arrogant, unreasonable, and it's so easy for me to just like, get so worked up. It's like, this is not right. And, and I could be saying some harsh things about him. And, and yet, you read a scripture like that and you say, whoa, 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 whoa. Do, do you have anything in your life, Mark? Oh, that? Yeah, yeah, right. But, but Justin Trudeau did do... Uh, oh, oh, Mark, but just a second. Do, do you have something in your own life? <laughs> oh, oh, that? Yeah, that. Oh, right, 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 right. Oh, but do you know, did you know what, what 
President Biden, Governor Sununu, fetal life protection. Yeah, yeah, well, wait, wait, wait. Wait, are you forgetting that you still have some stuff in your life, Mark? <laughs> oh, right, right, right. So, so what he's saying is he's saying don't ignore those things, but, but before you start judging other people and their motives, I mean, all we're getting for is information, right, from uh, social media news clips. We don't really know the person's heart. We don't really know. Or do we? Because our lives will reveal what's in people's, what's in people's hearts. And it starts with us, though. See, this is the, now the answer. He says, you, you're judging, and, and I, Jesus always does this. He always like, kind of like goes ahead of them and like, anticipates what they're going to be asking next. Well, well, Jesus, you know, how do we know if we're on track or not? I'm trying not to judge. I'm trying not to speak critically and negatively. And it says this, Jesus says this, For no good tree bears bad fruit. This is verse 43. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from ramble bushes. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, treasures of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Boom. Drop the mic right there. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, your heart, you'll speak and it'll tell you what's in your heart. And, and you get people talking long enough, you can start reading what's in their heart. But Jesus says, well, pause. Again, pause. See, you can start going around saying, uh, uh, I know it's in your heart. I'll listen to your, your critical, judgmental gossiper. And it's like, whoa, whoa. You got a big old log in your eye. Stop it. Think for a moment of your conversations this week. Here's a little test for you between you and God. Just take a quiet moment. Think about your conversations with a critical, with a judgmental, with a gossipy, were they dishonoring? Were they untruthful? Or were they, were they building up? Loving? Encouraging? Speaking well? Because out of the abundance of our heart, what goes on in our heart eventually spills out of our mouth and it's a reflection of the logs that we have in our eyes that don't get taken out. He says we are supposed to take them out but don't get taken out because we're so focused on other people's stuff 
that we don't have time to do the work and allow Jesus to come into the deep parts of our life and to bring healing where we need to find healing. And Jesus will start doing some eye surgery and plucking out those logs. And so we can start seeing things clearly. And the clear vision needs to be a vision of love and compassion towards others. Even those people who are doing wrong, even those people who are our enemies, even those people who feel like we've been raked through the coals, even those people who like speak badly against you, those people we need to have love and compassion because they need an encounter with Jesus. They need forgiveness from Jesus because they've got all kinds of hurt and pain. For some reason, they're on their power trips. For some reason, they're on their their negativity. For some reason, they're on their whatever. And quite frankly, we were not too far behind them because we had all kinds of stuff hanging out of our eyes (laughs) that Jesus needed to come in and bring healing towards. This week, I, I would encourage you to be very reflective of your conversations this week. Think about what's going to come out of your mouth. And then ask Jesus to say, if you're, if you're a little surprised, or, or maybe it's very common for you, probably is, but to say, Jesus, is that what I should be saying? And what does that say about your own heart? I'm going to close with this. And then Jesus concludes his talk by saying this. He says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what it it is like. He's like a man building a house who dug uh, dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like the man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, it immediately fell. And the ruin of that house was great. See, Jesus talked about two greats. Great reward and then great ruin. He talks about happiness, great reward, and woes, great ruin. He talked about the way the world does things and he's saying, uh, do it opposite Pursue the kingdom of God, the king in the kingdom of God. And it means that we're going to go do the difficult thing to continue to love, to continue to offer grace, to continue to uh, show mercy. Have you ever um, done a vision board before? Think about that board for a moment, and then I want you to think about how many people 
you have put on that vision board. I know when I've done vision boards in the past, it's typically stuff. Houses, cars, boats, vacations. And I don't see anywhere where Jesus says happiness is going to be found by those things. He instead says your happiness is going to be found when you turn outward and become less selfish and act with compassion and mercy and grace to people who don't know Jesus. To show them that there is a God who loves them. That you refuse to be critical, you refuse to be judgmental, you refuse to um, hold unforgiveness in your heart. And then he gives us that litmus test by saying, okay, you, you want to know how you're doing on this journey? Watch the words that you're talking about. And that's going to reveal what's already in your heart. And, and God looks at the heart, right? So he's, he's telling us what he's looking at. We just don't see it all the time. But we'll begin to see it by being mindful of what we're saying. And then he's saying, dig a deep well with Jesus. Dig a deep foundation with Jesus. Get planted on the rock because that is the only way that you're going to be able to get through life. Because there's going to be a stream coming that is going to batter against your house and it's going to do two things. It will stay strong or it will bring great ruin. And the house, the symbol of the house is the symbol of your life. See, we are the temple of God. We are the house of God. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. And he's going to say, the streams of life will be coming against you. And we know that the, the pressures coming against us today, the streams are coming against us in ways that we would have never imagined. And we need to be rooted with a deep foundation on Jesus Christ and his word. A foundation. Build your life on the rock of Jesus Christ. Just close with this story. I remember there was a... When I went to college, Houghton College in in upstate New York, there's a professor named Jake. Jake had curly hair. He wasn't much to look at. Um, He always wore a not the typical professor. He always kind of wore the plaid, untucked plaid shirt. But I'd always see him meeting with students in the um, common area. Sometimes I'd see students crying. Other times I'd see students laughing. And, and then I got to go by his house and find out where this Jake, his name is Jake, where Jake lived. Jake didn't live in much of a house, actually. And in front of his yard was stacked with wood and didn't look like he mowed his lawn. And, and I remember thinking, it's like, why wouldn't he take care of his house better? It wasn't falling down by any means, but it wasn't like the pristine yard and well-maintained everything. As I've gotten older, and I, I think the Lord just reminded me of him even writing this message Jake had something that I didn't have at that time. Jake knew how he wanted to spend his life. He wanted to spend his life pouring into other people. 
I think he realized his treasure wasn't to build something here on earth. His treasure was to build things of the kingdom in other people. He was a Christian man and a solid Christian man. And I, I look back and I was like, Jake, I think he's since passed. But I think, Jake, you, you did it right. And yet we can get so preoccupied with the material, so preoccupied with, you know, planning this perfect life that we forget that we have people all the way around us that so need, desperately need a touch from God. They need the love of God. They need the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. And he uses you and I to be those people. So could I encourage you this week, the exercise for this week or the, the, the homework for you this week <laughs> is to watch what is coming from your mouth. Let it be a reflection of your heart and then say, Jesus, what logs do you need to pluck out of my own eye before I start taking specks out of other people's eyes? Welcome to Church Online. My name is Pastor Mark, and I just want to say thank you for taking the time to join us in watching our services online. Maybe you can't be at our location today and you're watching this from home or on the road. We just want to say thank you for tuning in. And maybe you can't get to a physical location at Grace Capital Church, then this becomes part of your regular routine to do church live on your computer or on your device. We want to say, Invite some friends with you. Do church together. Life is so much better together and discovering what God has for us is meant to be done in community. Gather people together and enjoy these services for weeks to come. Thank you for watching.